أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته So alhamdulillah we're at Surah Al-Ikhlas uh, Surah number 112 and um, you know just to understand the position of this because this uh, positioning is very important because now that we've reached the stage in the previous surah we learned about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet ﷺ good news of his enemies being destroyed, right? And so it's a Nasr, basically with the victory coming in the latter part of the seerah, versus the destruction of Abu Lahab and his wife, his main, you know, one of his main enemies during his life in the early part of Meccan period. But, you know, when, when you basically are on a mission, sometimes you get distracted with your enemies and you forget what your purpose is. And a lot of companies have this on a year-to-year basis where they have like staff gatherings and they get their staff together to do what? To rethink about what the purpose and mission and vision of the company is. Right? So they, they have to do this once a year at least. Why? To remind everybody, listen, we need to go back on track because sometimes you get distracted and sometimes you lose focus. You start going off track. Of your, so this is where this position of this surah is to remind the Prophet ﷺ of what the objective is. What the, the objective is not victory. Remember we said, you know, what is the objective? What is your vision? What is your mission? What is the legacy you're fulfilling? It's the legacy of Ibrahim ﷺ, the legacy of Tawheed, the legacy of purifying this house for the purpose it was built. It was built to worship the one God, Allah, alone, with no partners. Right? What what happened to Mecca? Over the years, there's like 360 idols there, and there's corruption happening, and you know, so the whole concept, the legacy, is, is, uh, is not has not been continued. So that was the vision of the Prophet, and that was his mission. And um, what we learn from this surah also is because you know there's a very dry way of looking at the surah where it's just about not associating partners with Allah and shirk and these things, but then you don't really relate to it, and it doesn't become a lesson that we can relate to in our lives. You know, so many Muslims, you ask them, are you a mushrik? They'd be like, no, I'm not a mushrik. Yani. Of course, I don't bow, bow down to idols. I don't have any idols in my house. You know, I don't wear the, gro- I don't wear the cross or anything. Yani. I believe in God as one. Well, Quraysh also believed in God. They believed in Allah. They actually used the term Allah in their day-to-day language. Yani. You know, Wallah and Tallah. They used to use it. So they knew who Allah was and they believed in Him being the Creator. They believed in Him being the Creator. But yet, and we notice in the surah that this surah is very closely connected to Surah Al-Kafirun. And the Prophet his sunnah was to pray with these two surahs and the first thing in the morning every day before Salat Al-Fajr. In the sunnah of Fajr, he used to recite Surah Al-Kafirun in the first rak'ah and Surah Al-Ikhlas in the second rak'ah. So there is a very strong connection between the two. Although they're not uh, consecutively ordered in the Qur'an, there's a, there's a couple of surahs in between, but they're both connected in terms of their uh, message. And also in the way they're structured, both start with قُلْ قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ And قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ Okay? And so, you know, um, one of the main, main purpose of, the, of this surah is actually to tell or explain to Quraysh, like in, in, in Surah Al-Kafirun, what did the Prophet said? You have your deen, I have your deen. Right? I don't worship what you worship, you, know, you don't worship what I, I worship. Past, present, future, it's not going to happen. It's not happening now, it will never happen. You know? And never did it happen in the past. 
negating all forms of you know, association with them. But then the question is now, how do you clarify to Quraysh what is wrong in their belief? And how do you clarify to them what is my deen? What is you, what's wrong with your deen and what's right about my deen? What, what, what is my deen about and what is your deen not doing to match my deen? You know? So this surah is actually an explanation of where Quraysh went wrong. Why their concept of, of Ubudi is wrong and what is the right concept. This is like the you know, surah that's basically one-third of the Qur'an. Because one-third of the Qur'an talks about Tawheed. It talks about the oneness of Allah. And you know, if you think about the concept of oneness of Allah, I mean, ask any child... Any Muslim child, you know, how many Allahs do we have? They'll be like one. Where is Allah? He's up there. And so, yani, is, is that what Tawheed is all about? Numbers? Is it just a numbers thing? Or is it more than that? Because for a lot of Muslims, it's just become number. Allah is one. And you put the finger up like this and you say, Alhamdulillah, I'm Muslim. I believe in Tawheed. This is Tawheed. Yani. And that's it. But where is Tawheed in their lives? Where is Tawheed in, in their hearts? Where is Tawheed in their actions, in their attitude, in the way of thinking? That's what this surah is about. And that's what's not... Like you read, the, you read the translation of this, you'll be done in like 10 seconds. Right? God is one. You know, uh, and if you go over the translation, so say, let's read the translation. Say He is Allah who is one. Allah Samad. Allah the eternal refuge. He neither begets nor is born. Nor there's to him is any equivalent. Done. But this is one third of the Quran. Yani. So, you know, it's, it's going to be very challenging for me to like really wrap up some of the lessons here in less than an hour. But I'll try my best, inshallah. Of course, this will be nothing compared to the actual meanings. Because you know, according to a lot of the tafsirs I've read, that you know, the lessons in, these, in this surah are... Yani, really really heavy and you know they cover all parts of deen all parts of tawheed it destroys any ideology out there you know whatever it is christianity hinduism atheism the, the arguments made in this surah are enough to destroy any any other ideology if we if we you know really went deep into it but i'll try to share some of the lessons that are relevant to our lives and our times because these are just well, this is not a tafsir, this is a reflection. I'm not qualified to do tafsir in this first place. So one thing interesting about the order in terms of, you know, the previous surah was Surah Al-Masad. Tabbat yada abi lahabi wa tab ma aghna anhu ma lu wa ma kasab. Right? And so the rhyme sequence is continuing here. Qul huwa Allahu ahad, Allahu samad, masad, samad, yalid, wa lam yulad. You notice? So there's a continuation of, of rhymes uh, with the previous surah. But now what's happening is we're, we're learning what the mission is. What's the, and here, you know, Surah Al-Ikhlas starts off by saying, Qul Allahu Ahad, Allah is one. But another meaning here is that there is one purpose for all Muslims. There is one common mission and one common vision that all Muslims should share. This is what unites us. You know, and... Uh, in, in the tafsir of uh, Lama Iqbal, Muhammad Iqbal, the famous uh, Pakistani poet, who, mashallah, did great work in terms of poetry and stuff, he actually, his view was that, and this surah teaches us unity as, a, as an ummah, that we need to be united as an ummah, and unity of purpose also. That's what unites us. 
you know, we talk a lot about how Muslims are, you know, disunited nowadays and they're fighting with one another. We have sects and you have differences of opinions and different madhabs and all this and different ideologies and different, like, schools of thoughts, right? And we're, we're saying, no, Ummah needs to unite, you need to unite, you need to unite. But no one's talking about we need to unite in our purpose and our vision. Once the vision is there and it's clear for all, then we're united the way we are. Nothing has to change. Only the vision and the mission has to be clear to all. And we all have to align, realign to that common vision, which the Kaaba is a symbol of, right? If you go to the Haram, you go to the Kaaba, you go to Umrah or Hajj, you see everyone praying in that one direction. Do we worship the, uh, the Kaaba as an idol? No. It's a symbol of unity of purpose. It's a symbol of unity of vision. That's really what it is. That's what Tawheed is, right? Yes, we believe in one Allah, but with that comes the whole package of way of life, right? We believe in that one way of life. And we talked about it in Surah Al-Kafirun where there's a system A versus system B. We believe, we want that system A lifestyle. You know, this is what we're striving for. This is what we want to establish on this earth. We know what our purpose is. Allah created us uh, to, you know, worship Him entirely, enslave ourselves to Him entirely in our, in our life and to, you know, make this world a better place. So that we can earn our, our seat in Jannah. That's basically it. That's the common purpose of every single Muslim. And so that's, this is what also is part of this uh, message here. And that's what the Quran keeps talking about, you know. Unity of purpose. It's programming us to that same, same, you know, way of thinking. Same attitude, same frame of, frame of mind. So, and this is the legacy of Ibrahim, a.s. The legacy of Ibrahim. And Ibrahim, a.s., you know, um, what is he known for? He's known for his sacrifices. He's known for his, um, you know, creative way of explaining what Tawheed is. With you know, this, when the sun was, uh, the sun and the moon and the stars, when the, these were being worshipped other than Allah, he told the, his people, "La afilin." I don't like things that fade away. I don't like things that, you know, become inferior. And so. He used creative ways of explaining what Tawheed is. He, he destroyed the idols and then, you know, told them to ask the big idol who did it, you know. So he used, like, very interesting and creative ways to explain what Tawheed was. At the same time, his stance, right, his attitude. We know Tawheed and his attitude. He, ha- he had full trust in Allah, the one, when he left his family in the desert. He had full trust in Allah, the one, when he was about to enter the fire, when... You know, and, and got saved. He had full trust in Allah, the one. His tawheed was so strong that he was able to, you know, fulfill the, the, the dream and obey the dream and, uh, you know, s- literally slaughter his son. He was ready to do it. This is what tawheed does. So tawheed is not just about you know, believing Allah is one. It's not just a numbers game. Um, you know, it's, it's more than that. It's uh, a... Yani, uh, a belief that transforms into your attitude and the way you, you see this world. It really changes the way you see things in life. Yeah. That's the impact Tawheed has on the lives of, the, of a believer. That's what Tawheed did to the Sahaba. Their yaqeen, their like, certainty became so strong. Their reliance on Allah, the one, became so strong. And, um, you know, their willingness to struggle for the path the same, same you know, united purpose became so strong. What, that's what Tawheed does. 
So if you think about it, yani, um, I don't want to sound negative, but look at the Muslims nowadays. Yes, all Muslims. Ask any Muslim, do you believe in Allah, do you believe in Allah the One? Like, yeah, of course, man. Do you have your memorized Surah Al-Khlas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? But where is Tawheed in their lives? You know? Do you really f- see Tawheed in their lives? In their way they think? In the way they decide? The way they do business? The way they act? The w- Just the way you think. Your trust. You know? And we talked about the, the five forms of... Uh, or now there are six, right? I keep adding stuff to it. Of, of shirk. Hidden shirk, right? There's shirk of... What were they? Love, shirk of love. Is that common nowadays in society where people love? Yes, they love Allah. You ask any Muslim, do you love Allah? Yes. But do you love Him the most? More than your children, more than your parents, more than anything else? More than your, your, your hobbies and your entertainment? And they'd be like, yeah, I love Allah. But in reality, if you look at their life, who do they love more? Other than Allah, there's shirk of love. There's shirk of love, you know. That's not what they talk about all the time. That's not, if you love Allah, then you think about Him all the time. You think about the, you know, the fear of displeasing Him all the time. You know, so there's shirk of love there. Shirk of obedience. Ask any Muslim, do you believe in Allah the one? Yes. Are all Muslims obeying Allah? Are they cheating in their businesses? Are they pray fi- praying five times a day? Are they being good to their parents? Are they lying? Are they watching shamelessness or no? You know, so obedience is messed up. So shirk of love, shirk, shirk of obedience, shirk of tawakkul. So many people, yani Muslims, uh, you know, the trust in Allah is, is weak. Therefore, tawheed is weak. So tawheed is like, you know, Part of it is, yes, we believe in Allah as one, and that's the obvious and, and very important part of this, okay? But the discussion here for Muslims is more about, you know, weakness of tawheed. You can have tawheed, but you can have weak tawheed when your, your love is not as strong, when your tawakkul on Allah is not that strong, when your uh, trust in Him is not that strong, when your sincerity is not pure. Remember, there's shirk of sincerity also. You're doing something for Allah's sake, but part of it is for fame. Part of it for uh, seeking you know, appreciation from people and money and all these other hidden forms of shirk. Riya, what will people say? There's, you know, we said shirk of fear. Fearing other than Allah. Fearing losing your job. Feeling what people will say. Feeling what society will say. Um, and then there's shirk of dua. Which is another, you know, very common thing in the Muslim world nowadays. People making dua to other than Allah. People seeking help from other than Allah. Very clear shirk, yani, you know. So, you know, when we يعني, look at Surah, Al-Kaf, uh, Surah Al-Ikhlas. And its name is Surah Al-Ikhlas. Of course, it has more than 20 names, this surah, by the way. Okay? But I don't want to get into that too much, yani. but literally. Books of Tafsir, more than 20 different names for the surah. But the famous one is Ikhlas, right? So you think about Tawheed and Ikhlas, wait a second. What's the link? Allah's talking about His oneness. He's talking about the fact that, you know, He's Samad. You know, he, we all need Him. He doesn't need us. And um, the fact that He has no sons and no parents. Nothing is like Him. Where is Ikhlas in all of this? So that's something we'll discuss, inshallah, you know. Um, so, talking about the, as a background, just uh, so you understand the context, the kuffar, they believed in Allah. 
literally they believed in Allah as one. You ask them, do you believe in Allah? Yes, we believe in Allah. But they believed in Allah al-wahid, not al-ahad. Here Allah says, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَد. There's a difference between ahad and wahid. And by the way, we know from Sirah that Bilal got tortured for saying this word, ahadun ahad, ahadun ahad. So obviously this is a word that is literally annoying the Quraysh. Although they believe in Allah, they believe in Allah, wahid. But what was Quraysh's problem? And by the way, you know, I ask my Hindu barber all the time, like uh, we have these discussions while uh, he cuts my hair and about his, his deen. And, and they also believe in God, the one God. They believe in him, you know. Ask any Hindu who knows a bit about the deen. They say, yeah, of course we believe in the one God. But we have these other idols to help us get closer to him. And, you know, because we are, you know, very weak and we need people to get us closer to him and we need these idols to can visualize who God is. So yani, the same concept is, is repeated over and over again. So um, the Kuffar of Quraysh, if they believed in Allah, the creator. The creator, they believed in him. And, and the, when you believe in Allah as a creator, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to follow any of his rules or his obedience because he created me and khalas, yeah, now I can do whatever I want. You know? Whereas for, for them to believe in Ahad, that was a problem. Why? Because Ahad means there's only one authority over you now. You can't be your own authority anymore. Whereas when you believe in Allah just being the creator, being Al-Khaliq, khalas, I can do whatever I want. But Ahad meant, no, no, no. Not only is he a creator, he is your Rabb. He is your master and him being your master you're his slave therefore you only follow his rules you only follow his guidance you only obey him and this is what bothers not just Quraysh even a lot of people today we are people by nature who don't like rules right no no like no student likes his teacher to tell him to do homework or to, to you know quiz time no, nobody likes his boss to tell him what to do. Come on time, leave on time, take permission before leaving. You know, if, if you're not coming, tell me. No, like, this is human nature. We don't like rules. We don't like, even children with parents, right? Parents say, tidy up your room. What, what's the reaction? No. Ch- parents say, it's time for lunch. We don't, we don't like people telling us what to do. People don't like cops. You know, we don't like, we don't like to follow rules. And therefore... This is part of human nature. That when and Rasulullah his demands were they small demands or big demands? No, they were big life-changing demands. Yani Islam came with like a full package of complete transformation. Yani, uh, you'd have to change the way you think about this world. You have to and, and you know look at the Sahaba and how they transformed. Yeah? The way you talk, the way you walk, the way you sleep, the way you, you do business, everything about you changes. When you become a Muslim, or it's supposed to, and we're not saying overnight. Not if there's any non-Muslim listening to this lecture, we're not scaring people away and saying, "Like, listen, you gotta change overnight, 360, 180 degrees." No, it happens gradually, but that's part of the package. And and by the way, in this transformation, you will you will enjoy it and you love it because it's good for you in dunya and akhirah. There's benefit in it. It's not like you're torturing yourself. So. This was the problem. The Quraysh, they didn't want to submit to that one system and that one way of life. 
where they were equal to the slaves, where they had to now give, where they can't be selfish anymore, where they can't have that authority. And there's, now they have an authority over them, you know? Before, they, they like to share authority. I mean, they like to have authority being the custodians of the Kaaba, but yeah, we believe in Allah al-Khaliq. But him being the authority, the Rabb, because one of the meanings of Rabb is al-Sayyid, right? Authority. They didn't want that. That's why Rabb was something that would sting them as a, as a name. And, and also Ahad. It would sting them because him and only him. That's what Ahad literally means. Because when you have Wahid, that means you have Thnena and Thalatha and Arba also with it. But Ahad means there's no, there's no number two, there's no number three. Ahad is unique. It's a unique concept of oneness. That's what Ahad is. And, and so Quraysh's concept of God was wrong, basically. That's really the problem. They believed in God, but their concept of who God was was, was wrong. And so they actually went to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him, describe to us who your God is. What is he made of? Is he made of gold? Is he made of silver? Is he made of wood? Literally, that's what they said. And they said, so tell us more about his lineage. So who are his parents? What about his children? You know, what's, give us his lineology. And so that's what, this is the context of the revelation of the surah. This surah was revealed to answer these questions. Who is God? Any non-Muslim ask you who is God, this is, what you ha- this is how you need to answer. You know, this is, and it's supposed to be a very simple way of teaching uh, you know, Tawheed and, and Aqeedah or the belief system or creed. It's supposed to be very simple. So, Qul um, Allahu Ahad. You know, say that Allah is one. Um, why Qul? Why, why did Allah just, didn't just say Allahu Ahad, Allahu Sanad, Lamid? Why Qul is there now? Uh, we learned that for Surah Al Kafirun, Qul was there because the Prophet is being told to go and confront the Quraysh and that this message is coming from a higher authority you can't compromise with Rasulullah this is directions from a higher authority he's just a messenger here Qul also is يعني, in a sense Allah is telling us that say it out loud that Allah is one have like pride in your belief have confidence and Qul also means that first internalize it yourself and then Share it with others. Internalize it and share it with others. That's what Qul is here. And, and of course, Qul also, because they asked the question, so now Rasulullah is telling them, but whose words are these? Allah's words. He's just delivering. You know, so, so when the Quraysh are hearing these, these answers, they know it's coming from a higher authority. Allah is literally telling them on behalf of Rasulullah who he is. So this is basically the corrupt, Surah Al-Ikhlas is about the correct concept of God. Correct concept of who God is. So, um, and we also know that, yani, if it wasn't for Tawheed on this earth, this, the skies and the heavens and the earth would fall apart. Okay? They would fall apart. And literally that's what's going to happen on the Day of Judgment. Before, one of the signs of the Day of Judgment is a wind, a soft wind will blow. And all the believers will die. And then there will be none but disbelievers on earth. And that's where the day of judgment and this, you know, uh, the skies will start tearing apart. And all this stuff will start happening. Why? Because there's no more tawheed on earth. So, you know, one of the reasons why tawheed, uh, one of the reasons why this whole entire universe is intact and in place and everything is, you know, working the way it's supposed to is because of tawheed. It's, that's such a heavy thing. It's not a small thing. 
And that's why it's one third of the Quran. And we know the story of the Sahabi who used to like recite the surah in every salah, every salah, and then you know the other Sahaba complained to the Prophet that you know this guy doesn't change; he keeps reciting the same surah. Yeah. He's being biased. Yeah. And so Rasulullah uh, Sallallahu asked him. He said, "I love this surah." And so he said that, yani, this love for you will, will give you Jannah, inshallah. This love for, your love for the surah will give you Jannah because it's such a heavy topic and a heavy uh, surah that if you love it, then you're set, inshallah. Uh, other, uh, you know, it's also known as Nur al-Quran. This is the light of the Quran because this is the essence of uh, the whole Quran. And, you know, also the concept of uh, Tawheed, we learn that from like other religions, like, you know, if you look at Greek mythology, or even Hindu like scriptures, like what is it all about? It's all about like Greek, uh, like gods fighting with one another, right? In, in the Hindu scriptures, literally, it's, it talks about this battle that happened, right? The Mahabharata, which is literally like a battle, yani. The deen is, uh, one of its fundamentals is like, battle and war and fighting between gods and arguments and... You know, Greek mythology is all about also Zeus and the god of lightning and the god of love and all these things happening. So there's clashes happening. Such a complicated way of looking at life. Yeah. Whereas God is one. Uniquely one. It's so simple, subhanAllah. Even to the fitrah, it just makes sense that God is one. Um, so what is the word Allah there's differences of opinion whether Allah is a unique name for Allah or whether it's Al-Ilah, because Ilah means a, a, a God that's worshipped. So Al-Ilah would be the, the God that's worshipped. Okay, and so what does Ilah mean? Aliha has many meanings. One of them, or a few of them, is the one who is worshipped, the one who is obeyed, the one who is turned to. They use Aliha for the child who turns to his mother for, for milk in desperation. That's also one of the meanings of Aliha. So Al-Ilah, the one who is worshipped, the one who is obeyed, the one who is turned to in times of desperation, or ta- in, all, in all times, the one who you need constantly. Okay? And, and this is where a samad comes, which we'll look at in a second. Um, so even in the Hebrew language, they use that same term for God, Eloah. In the Aramaic language, Ilah. You know, so very similar, uh, you know, uh, d- derivations of the same word Allah in, in different uh, religions and, uh, and so let's get right into it So Say that He is Allah so Why did Allah say He? Say that He is Allah The one Allahu Ahad He is referring to the fact that you guys already know Him Because this Quran is talking to Quraysh You already know that That God you, you claim or the God that you already believe in as being the creator, Allah, He in fact is Ahad. He in fact is uniquely one. Okay, Ahad. So they already know this God. It's not like it's a new concept for them. They already know Allah is only correcting their concept of this oneness. And here also we learn about fitrah. The insan, human being, is born on this fitrah where he knows that he's already signed on the deal of slavery, if you remember, right? They've already confronted Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and agreed to become slaves and he's the master and so for all all human beings in by fitrah by human nature they already know that Allah is one it just makes sense to them but what happens through time we get corrupted these ideas get corrupted so one of the you know, beautiful meanings of this word 
Ahad is that Ahad in the sense of existence, there's only one God in existence, unique existence of one God. And the other is that one God who is in charge. There's only one God, this Allah, who Allahu Ahad. He is the one who is solely in charge of everything that's happening on earth. Which if we just internalize this name, will be sufficient for us. Because at the end of the day, we want things to get done in our life, right? We want to get married, we want to get a job, we want you know, promotion, we want a you know, better lifestyle, we want guidance. Allah is saying, He is in control. He is the only one in control. And therefore, if we connect to Him, and He has the authority and the control, then what? All our matters get resolved. Everything that we need, it says in, it's in His hands, literally. You know, He has the authority, He has the control over every single thing that happens. And therefore, Allah is giving us open access to Him. Connect to me, believe in me, I will sort out everything. You don't need to ask anybody else. I'm the one who's taking care of all things. You know, to, just to give you a, like a worldly example to, to make you understand this, you know, you get into a traffic accident or you, you, uh, you know, cross the red light, or you speed, you're caught speeding. But you know who? You know the director of traffic. He's your buddy. So what are you going to do now? You're in trouble. You need to get out of trouble. Who do you, you have access to the guy in charge. What do you do? You use that authority, right? You use that connection. You have a connection. So you call him up and say, listen, uh, you know, I just got caught. I, just, I was speeding. I just got caught. Can you hook me up? And so he... In, within five seconds, he's going to send a message to the, the duty officer in charge. Let him go. So, what saved you? And what made you relaxed about your, you skipping the red light and all this? The fact that you have connection with the guy in charge. But here, Allah is saying, I am the one in charge. I am taking care, I'm getting things done for you. Nothing is happening outside my control. And therefore, if you connect to me, you have nothing to worry about in life. This, yani, just this thought, if we internalize it, would really change the way we view the world and, and all our worries would go away. Right? Why would, be, why would you be worried if you have full access to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And another part of this is the things that happen in our life. Sometimes bad things happen to us. We go through tests, we go through difficulties, sadness, someone passes away, someone's sick, you lose your job, you have some sort of suffering, some trial. Allah is saying, I am the one in control. And therefore, when you know that Allah is in control, then you know that there is some good in it. If Allah is in control, then khalas. I have nothing to worry about. Whatever He does for me, I'm willing to take it because there must be some good in it. Which is actually one, one thing that, you know, it's a bit off topic, but there's this, uh, you know, um, usually atheists and people who don't believe in religion and, and God, they have this argument that if God uh, is, is, this concept of God is really true, then why do we have evil on earth? Well, one concept is that there is no evil on earth. Every, there's goodness in everything. Allah did not create evil. It's just the way we perceive things. There is good in it. Yes, it may seem in the, in the outside, external world, in our eyes, it seems uh, evil, but there is no such thing as evil. 
everything is good, but we don't see it. We will see it one day. There is wisdom in everything, even in death. You know, atheists have this argument, uh, how come God created death? I mean, it's such a tragic thing, and people have to cry and depressed. And... But there's good in Have you ever thought about it? There's good in death. Imagine if there was no death. It's actually a nice movie to make, Yanni. A world where there is no death. Imagine the population uh, problems we'll have. The, you know, there will be traffic everywhere. Your house, like your grand-grand-grandparents will be in your house with you. You know, not enough housing. Jobs. Your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather will be uh, hanging on to his job of, you know, being the CEO of the company and therefore people will be out of jobs. Schools, not enough schools. Not enough jobs. You know, no inheritance. <laughs> graveyards, well, there won't be any graveyards anymore. You know, there won't be any concept of teaching anymore. Because why do people teach? To leave knowledge behind, right? No one will teach. Everyone will leave knowledge to themselves. So just try to imagine a world without death. It would be boring, yani. Right? So, yani, there is, there is good and khair and everything. Whether we see it or not. You know, we know through sickness, purification happens. And we know death for us is just like a temporary stop, yani. It's going to be just uh, from the time from Dhuhr Salat al Asr Salat. That's how you're going to, the grave time will be. And then, you know, you're resurrected, and then it's either, you know, eternal heaven or eternal hell, yani. So, the unique, uh, so what does Ahad mean? There's no equal to him. Nothing is equal to him. There is nothing second to him. He doesn't have any affiliates. He doesn't have any comp- competition. He is one. He is alone. Therefore, when you rely on him, when you connect to him, you have nothing to fear. You have the, you know, the biggest power on your side. The one who is you know, the, the most powerful, the one who has full control over everything, he is on your side. Just think of that. What it empowers the believer this concept of Ahad. When he is on your side, what more do you need? And this is something that the Sahaba internalized. That's why they used to go to battles with, like, you know, enemies that were, you know, three times more than them in size, yani, in numbers. Right? Because they internalized this idea that Allah Al Ahad is with us. And He alone is enough for us. We don't need anyone else. And, um, so everything about Allah is unique in His oneness. Okay, that's one of, one of the meanings of Ahad. And, um, you know, just to also, I've covered this before, but just to, you know, reconfirm this, that to understand the difference between this uniqueness of Allah's attributes versus our attributes. Because Allah is Ar-Rahman, He is the, you know, most merciful. But at the same time, you can have human beings who have mercy in them. So how is our mercy different than Allah's mercy? We, we mentioned three things. Anyone remember what they are? No, huh? Okay, so number one, our attributes have a beginning, whereas Allah's, a beginning and an end, whereas Allah's attributes have no beginning, no end. So my sight, okay, Allah is al-basir, He sees also, but I see also. But my side had a beginning. Before I was born, there was no, I, my side didn't exist. When I die, my side will end. Whereas Allah's ability to see had no beginning and had no end. It's infinite in space. Okay? That's number one. Number two, my eyesight is limited. 
to how far I can see. Whereas Allah's sight is unlimited. Okay, so it's different than uh, infinity. Okay, and the third one is ownership. My eyesight was given to me by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's gifted to me. Whereas Allah's sight was not given to him by anyone. He owns it himself. He's the owner. So these three things. The idea that his attributes are infinite. His attributes have no limits. And third, he has full ownership of all his attributes. So لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There's nothing like him. Nothing like him. So Ahad is the unique one. And of course, Ahad negates a lot of the uh, false ideologies of many religions, like the idea of Trinity, the, the God, the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? This idea of three is one, one is three. Allah is saying, no, ahad. there is one God. There is one God. And of course, it negates all the other religions where they say, yes, there is one God, but we need these other gods to get us closer to Him, like the Hindu belief, like the, uh, you know, like we said, the Greek mythology beliefs, it's destroying all these ideologies by saying, you know, there is only one God and He is unique in His nature. Now just one uh, idea about uh, the concept of, of slavery, right? Tawheed and Ubudiyah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us, every single human being has this need to worship. You have this need by fitrah to enslave yourself to something. Now Allah is saying, when you enslave yourself entirely to me alone, Allahu Ahad, then you have, then you're free from other forms of slavery. But the moment you don't enslave yourself to the one God, Allah, then you become slave, uh, slave to other things, other filthy, worldly things. And these are things that, you know, uh, in some cases are seen physical things, in some cases they're hidden things. But what's more relevant to our times is the hidden shirk, the hidden idols that we have, right? The idol of your desires, the ideal, uh, the idol of wealth. You know, the Prophet said, "Ta'isa Abdul Dirhami with dinar," the one that he is wretched, he is, you know, going to be tired. The one who worships wealth. And do we have people today who worship wealth? Yes or no? More than Allah, or I mean, all for them, their life. It's all about wealth, 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 wealth. Yes, you ask them, do you believe in Allah? Yes, I believe in Allah. But who are they really worshipping in their lifestyle? That's the wealth. For some people, um, they worship their desires. Right? The one who take, has taken his, his hawa, his desire as his ilah. It is mentioned in the Qur'an. Some people will take their own desire as their, their, their God. And so for a lot of people, this is, this is what their God is, their hidden shirk, you know, the hidden tawheed. So Allah is saying, you worship, you want to be my slave, I will free you from all these other forms of slavery. For people who have addictions and bad habits, smoking, drugs, alcohol, they're enslaved to these habits, enslaved to these bad habits. They can't get out of it. So that's a weakness of tawheed. Someone who's addicted to, to cigarettes or alcohol or whatever, drugs, there's a weakness in Tawheed. You claim you believe in Allah as one and you enslave yourself to Allah as the one, but there's this other mini-God that you can't get rid of. You know, this habit that you can't get rid of. So these are some things that are relevant to our times. And so knowing He is one, also some of the uh, implications of this is you, 
Allahu Ahad means that you only live your life for Him. Now these are some deeper meanings, okay? So you live your life only for Him. For no one else. Not for yourself. You're not selfish. You're not living your life for your family. You're not living your life for any, anything else. You're living your life for Allah's sake. And then seeking His pleasure only. This is where ikhlas comes in, right? You, everything you're doing, you're doing it for His sake only. For His pleasure only. You know, you're praying for His sake, you're going to work for His sake, you're going to the gym for His sake, you're taking care of your parents for His sake, you're taking care of your kids for His sake, you're getting married for His sake. And anything you don't do for His sake is, is of no benefit to you. You know, it's going to be of no benefit to you because your whole life should be completely enslaved to Allah. So if, if I was to, be, to illustrate to you in a diagram, our relationship with Allah, so if Allah is... Here, we are here, we are, our relationship with Him, the primary relationship is a relationship of master-slave. Okay? Masters, not creator and cre- creation, no. Master and slave, because there's, there's responsibility that comes with this relationship. That's our fundamental relationship with Allah. Now, as a slave then, all the other roles come into play. So, as a, I have to as, act as a slave when I'm at my workplace, by conducting haram uh, or halal business. I have to act as a slave when it comes to going to school by you know, doing good and not cheating in my, my uh, exams. I have to act as a slave when I get married. So I get married to fulfill my role of slave. I, get, you know, I take care of my parents to please Allah by being his slave. I you know, take care of my neighbors in my role of slave. So you see, it's a very simple concept if we just understood it. You know? Everything goes back to the, our relationship with Allah being the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that, that is what tawheed is. That is what ikhlas is. Dedicating your life for Him. Obeying Him and, you know, nothing but Him. And anything that goes against His obedience, you don't do it. And sacrificing everything for His sake, you know. Thinking about Him all the time. Yeah. Whatever decision you do, ask yourself, well, is this going to please Allah or no? This is, this is part of the implications of slavery. Then Allah says, Allahu Samad. After saying that He is one, which is you know, really the ikhlas part of this. Anything we don't do with ikhlas will be of no benefit. And we, we talked about this in Surah Zalzala. That anything that's done without ikhlas, when there's other associations in it, if there's, and ikhlas means 100% for Allah's sake. If there's 1%, 0.001% for something else, that will not be counted for us on the Day of Judgment. That will be, there will be no weight for it on the Day of Judgment. And so then Allah says, Allahu Samad. The one who is enough to turn to. It's such a beautiful word. And, and what's sad is so many people have memorized the surah, but they don't know what... You ask them what does Samad mean? They don't know. Samad, of course, has many meanings, but one of the primary meanings is the one who is enough to turn to. The one who is enough to depend on Whereas he does not depend on us. That's what Samad primarily means. And so if, if... Like do human beings have needs? Yes or no? We have you know, family members who are sick that we want to get healed. We have you know, people who are s- suffering in terms of financial difficulties that we want, they want our financial to be sorted out. There's people who want to get married. You know, they're not getting married. There's so many needs we have. Allah is saying, a Samad is enough for you. You need to call on Allah as Samad in your du'as. 
Turn to him if you want a promotion in your job. Turn to him if you want to get married. Turn to him if you want your sick relative to get you know, healed. Turn to him to give you patience. Turn to him to guide you. Turn to him, turn to him, turn to him, turn to him. This is what a samad is. It's an open invitation for all of us to go back to him. Because he is enough. Now when you doubt, when you don't have full trust that Allah is enough, then you won't believe in a samad. You know? And Ibrahim salam understood this name, a samad. He would turn to him, turn to him all the time. The Prophet understood this. They would turn to him. Before the battles, you'd see the Prophet you know, raising his hands and making dua and all night long, dua, dua, why? He knew a samad. That's the, all you need. Al-Ahad and Samad. You know that he's the one in charge. Fakhalas, go to him. In the first ayah, Allah told us, I'm in charge. I'm the only one in charge. In the second ayah, he's saying, therefore, turn to me. You see the link? Therefore, you only need to turn to me through Al-Samad. If you know that I'm the only one in charge, therefore, now, all you need is to turn to me. And so Al-Samad also means the one who you only seek as your ultimate goal. That's also a samad. So this is also part of ikhlas, that we only seek his pleasure, only seek his uh, you know, reward in akhirah. That's, that's what we're living for. He's our ultimate, ultimate goal. We seek to see him one day. That's really the journey of our life. It's supposed to be, you know. When you're, you're you know, someone of, with tawheed in your heart, that's, you know, when, when you think about samad, that's your ultimate goal. You want to meet him one day. And you want him to be pleased with you. Subhanallah. Okay. And then another meaning of a samad here is that he does not need us. He is above us. You know, because again, um, some, some people have these doubts that why does Allah keep, why does Allah want us to keep thanking him? Ma'adullah, you know, they have these, this doubt that, you know how like kings, they like to be praised. So they have, they try to relate this to Allah that why does Allah like it? When we praise Him, why does He need us to praise Him? Does Allah need us to praise Him? No, He does not. Okay? So Allah does not need us to praise Him. Allah does not need us to pray to Him. Allah does not need us to, uh, you know, pray to, for Him. You know, He's... he's uh, in Surah Al-Fatiha, we wrote, Alhamdulillah. He is the self-deserving of praise, whether we praise Him or not. Alhamd. That's why it was a noun, right? We didn't say, Nahmadullah. So his hamd does not depend on us. His, if all of humanity stopped praising him, will that decrease in any, any sense or way or form of his perfection? No. Okay? So that's what a summit also means. A summit also means free from flaws, free from, from any kind of flaw, faults or blemishes. Summit also means someone who cannot be overcome. Again, if he cannot be overcome, therefore you turn to him. He's like the, the final uh, reliance, you know. And another very interesting thing, which I remember listening to a talk of uh, Ahmed Dida talking about once a tribe that were, that were living in, in the middle of the jungle. Huh? They had never came across Islam or, or the Prophet or anything about Islam. But what did they come to as a conclusion? They said, we will worship the God that has no holes. Literally. So their God, the name of their God was the God of no, that has no holes. That's one of the meanings of Samad, actually. The, the one with no holes. Why? Because the, the, our, the holes, we have primarily like 
the main hole in our body is the hole for getting food, right? So one of the means of summit is the one who does not need to eat or drink. Because for us to sustain our lives, we need to eat and drink, right? So that tribe in the middle of the jungle figured out that, listen, we all need to eat and drink to survive, otherwise we'll die. Therefore, the perfect definition of God is the one who does not need to eat or drink because he does not die. You see? It's such an amazing conclusion that they reached. Without any, you know, no Qur'an, nothing. The God with no holds. The God who does not need drink and food to survive, subhanAllah. The eternal living. And لم يلد ولم يلد come. And subhanAllah, we know that birth comes from, also, you need a hole for the baby to come out from, literally. And so, there's this concept of, you know, uh, feed and drink and the continuation of uh, lineage. So for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has no holes, therefore no, no children, no parents. It's amazing, subhanAllah. Such an amazing conclusion they reach. Yani. So, a samad also means like hollow. Like when something has holes in it, or it's empty from inside, that's also samad. Or, or uh, sorry, uh, a samad is something that's full from inside, versus hollow. Okay? A samad is something that has substance in it, not just empty from inside. He has no holes in it. Because something that has holes in it, it's empty from inside, right? Empty from inside. And, you know, interesting thing here is, you know, when Adam was created, he was made of clay. What would, uh, he was created, they say, for like 40 years. And so what would shaitan do? Iblis, he would like roam around, look at his holes. And he would like analyze, oh, this, this creature has holes in it. It has weaknesses in it. I'll get him from these holes then. You know, and subhanAllah, yani, they ate from the tree, literally, one of the, you know, holes of the body. So, um, also in a summit, we learn about this concept of shafa'a and uh, intercession. You know, this is one of the problems of the mushrikun. They, why, why did they associate partners with Allah? Because they weren't good enough and they decided that, you know, we'll have some people to hook on to, some people to hang on to that will save us. And so through a summit, we're learning that you can turn directly to him. You don't need any partners to help you out. You have direct access. You don't need these idols. So Quraysh, in a nutshell so far, the discussion is, Quraysh believed in Allah, the creator. Did they believe in Allah, al-Ahad? Did they believe in Allah's summit? No. Okay, so Allah is clarifying their belief here. And then, Lam yalid wa lam yulad. He, you know, I don't like this word begets nor begotten because we don't use this in our language nowadays. In simple language, he does not give birth nor was he born. Very simple, Yani. I don't know why they didn't choose these words, Yani. But Lam uh, yalid, he did not give birth to any children. Because what did the Quraysh believe? That Allah had daughters. What were those daughters? Who were those? the angels? And you know other ideologies where they say Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, not true according to the statement. It's canceling that out. That some of some of the Jews, not all, some Jews said Uzair ibn Allah. Uzair is the Son of God. So out, out of the question. Okay. So Lam Yalid, he does not have children. And you know, interesting that why do human beings need to have children? Or why do human beings like to have children? 
to continue the legacy, right? To continue the legacy, to continue the name. Does Allah need to continue the name? Does Allah need His name to be... Yani, uh, does Allah need sorry, to get children? No, because His name is already infinite. He is there, He has no beginning, no end. Whereas human beings, why do they need children? Because they know they're going to die one day. And therefore, let me get as many children as I can before I die so that my legacy continues. Yani. So that's one of the weaknesses of human beings. We want, to get, we want children to continue our legacy because we know that death is a reality. Ask even an atheist, death is a reality for them. Whereas Allah is Al-Hayyul Qayyum. Al-Hayyul Qayyum. And another thing I forgot to mention here is that, you know, when it comes to our demands, when we seek uh, things from, from uh, you know, human beings, when we uh, need help in, in worldly matters, Sometimes, like you go to a king, right? If ten people go to, the, go to him directly, one's asking for, you know, a, a house, the other's asking for a car, the other's asking for help with his job, the other's asking, what's the king going to say? The king is going to say, wait, guys, wait a second, one at a time. Can you, I can't listen to ten people at the same time. Right or no? It, it gets too much. So the, the queuing system comes into place. Whereas Allah is saying, a summit. Come to me, don't worry about the fact that, you know, you know, whether it's you alone asking or 10 billion people asking simultaneously, I will ask for you, God. And you know, you go to Umrah or Hajj, you see all these like millions of people asking and making dua and, you know, shaitan comes and make, gives you doubts. How can Allah <laughs> listen to every single dua of these people? And they're asking random things. And they're asking in different languages. Some guys are asking in Swahili, someone's asking Urdu, someone's asking Japanese, someone's asking in Chinese. So how can Allah, through a samad, we learn what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to answer all these du'as simultaneously without any queuing system. You know, and He's enough. And He doesn't get tired. You see why Ayatul Kursi is such a heavy ayah? Because, you know, the king, if let's say 10 people come asking for him, okay, he'll meet them one at a time, one at a time. Then 10 other people come, then 10 other people come. Then, well, eventually, what's going to happen to the king? He'll be like, guys, I'm tired, man. Come back tomorrow. Right? He doesn't get tired from our, uh, us asking. So keep asking, keep asking. That's what As-Samad teaches us. Keep asking. Don't give up. And don't say, Allah, I asked too much, Ya Allah. You know, enough for today. No, it's never enough. And, you know, having a son implies you have an equal, you have a wife, right? Because can you have children without a wife? No, right? And so here also Allah is hinting to the fact that Lam yalid, why? Because he, has, he just told you ahad. Therefore he has no equal. Because for you to have children you need an equal. And so it's a continuation of the same argument that because he doesn't have any children, because obviously he doesn't have any equal, he doesn't have a sahiba, he doesn't have, and it's mentioned in the Quran, he doesn't have a sahiba, he doesn't have a partner. So he is, and, and this is one of the meanings of kufuan, by the way. He doesn't have a wife, he doesn't have a partner, anyone equal to him. And so, lam yalid wa lam yulad. Also, we learn here that um, we need children to help us in old age. One of the desires of parents is, you know, I need children, why? Because when I'm old, 
I need them to take care of me. Right? That's the wish of every parent, right? That, you know, when, they're, when the children are young, the parent takes care of children. When, children are old, uh, and when the parents are old, children take care of parents now. So we need help from, we need children to help us in old age. Allah is saying, I help you all the time. You know, Samad, I am there for you all the time. And at the same time, Allah doesn't need children because does Allah, Allah get old? No. There's no, no concept of age for him because he has no beginning and no end. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. And he has no parents. Okay? No beginning, no end. Walam yakun lahu kufan ahad. And there is none like him. None, none equivalent to him, none equal to him, no partner to him, no one equal, you know, equal in uh, rank to him. You know, there's, there's nothing like him. Lam yakun lahu kufan ahad. And uh, like I told you, kufwan also means sahiba. He doesn't have a wife because a wife is also equivalent. And also, no competition. You know, there's no competition. Another, you know, uh, thing that should give us this empowerment, a believer should be empowered. There is zero competition with him. Because no one can, you know, challenge him. There's, khalas, if Allah is on your side, you're a winner. You know, so this is, this is some of the implications of Tawheed. Um, so there's basically th- about uh, three parts to this surah, according, if you look at the overall picture. The first part talks about his oneness. Okay? Second part, Allah is tell- teaching us. Uh, in Samad, there is mercy and grace, right? Allah is telling us that I am there to help you out. I'm, you can depend on me all the time. It's, it's a mercy, right? Come to me. It's an invitation. I am the one. Part two is, it's an invitation. Come and ask me for something. So that's, that's a sign of Allah's mercy. And the third one is, Allah is free from weakness. These two, these are freeing Allah from any sort of weakness because for, for mankind, we have weaknesses, we have death. And therefore we need children and you know we need... Uh, you know, dependence on, the, on these things. Whereas Allah is independent on this and therefore there, He's free of weakness. There's, he, there's no competition to Him. There's nothing equal to Him. So, um, another way of looking at this is, yani, ayah number one proves tawheed and negates all forms of partnership and shirk. Right? That's what's Allahu ahad. What about part two? Allahu samad proves His perfection. Negates any other weaknesses, because a samad is the perfect one. He has no flaws. Okay. Versus us, we have flaws. And then number three, proving his eternal existence. Lam yalid wa lam yulad, proving his eternal existence. Versus us, we we're not eternal. We need lineage. We need children because because of the idea of death. And then walam yakulahu kufwan ahad is glorifying him and his uniqueness versus us. Uh, where we, of course, yani, we're nowhere compared to him in terms of his perfection and his, uh, you know, like you have children, you have wives that are equal to you nowadays, you know, in society, you have human beings, whereas Allah is, there's nothing, nothing like him. So finally, what are some of the lessons for us to uh, live by from the surah? Okay, practical lessons. So if you're sleeping, you can wake up now. So, 
Number one, the, the unity of purpose. Unity of purpose, unity of one goal, one mission. This is the legacy of Ibrahim Islam. This is the legacy of the Prophet And this is the legacy that he, the Prophet has passed on to us. You know? This is what the surah is teaching us. This is tawheed in, in our lives, practically speaking. That we need to also have that legacy of making this world a better place. You know, bringing people back to the surat al-mustaqeen. Bringing them back, back, to, back to guidance. Living a life to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to earn this jannah. The unity of purpose. And uh, of course, unity of uh, people in that purpose. And then Allahus Samad, also a beautiful thing that we can live by with this name, as Samad, is that just like Allah is free of need, in a way Allah is teaching us, you also need to be free of need from people around you. Don't ever, ever beg anyone. Come to me only. So this, should give, this name, As-Samad, gives us confidence that we only need Allah. I don't need to be, beg someone. I don't need to beg my boss for a promotion. I don't need to, I don't need to go beg anybody. And, and, you know, and Because Allah has empowered me to get full access to him, As-Samad. And then, وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٌ How do you live by this name? وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ كُفُوًا There is nothing like him. He is unique. In a way, you know, this Alama Iqbal, he said this, that we also need to be people who strive to be unique in our societies. Because for most part, societies are, are corrupt, right or no? So through this ayah, how do you live by this? By striving to be unique. You strive to be the source of goodness in your society. If, if there's corruption and bloodshed happening in the world, you be the source of goodness. Be unique. Through Just like Allah is unique, you also be unique. You be like, you know what we said, Bada'a al-Islam mughariban. This Islam started as a strange thing. The strangers were the people who came into this deen as a minority. Remember, Those were the strange people, the minority. They were the unique people. And then, then the people who were sitting in the back seat, when they saw that victory came, then they entered. When they saw that, you know, everything is clear, the, the victory came, we don't need to struggle, we can just enter Islam, they came in later on. Allah is saying, be unique. Be the ones who do things differently. Be people who, of course, not in the sense that be a weirdo, become a weirdo, but be unique. In the sense that if you see... You know, evil happening around you be the source of goodness. Be proactive. Be the source of uniqueness for you. So inshallah, with that we conclude with al-ikhlas, a beautiful surah that has heavy implications. Yani. So think about it and ponder upon its meanings. Not just the fact that Allah is one. It's not a numbers game. It's a, it's a, a lifestyle. It's a way of thinking, an attitude that we have Allah on our side. And Allah alone is enough for us, for all our matters. And, and we seek his pleasure alone. We live our life for him, for his pleasure. And we don't seek appreciation from people. We don't seek, you know, any monetary gains from this job. We are his slaves and we are happy to be his slaves. And we, we love him only. We obey him only. We're sincere to him. We trust him fully. We fear none but him. We seek no one's dua, dua except his uh, or make dua only to him. This is what Tawheed is. And you know the next two surahs, Surah Al-Falaq al uh, uh, An-Nas, are like the two guardians that will guard this Surah Al-Ikhlas. So think of Surah Al-Ikhlas coming down with two guardian angels. One to protect it from external evils, which is Surah Al-Falaq. And then the other, 
that will protect it from internal evils, which is Surah Al-Nas, which we will inshallah cover uh, in the next two surahs. Zakumullah khayran, subhanakallah wa bihamdik, nashadun la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.